Hello, and welcome back to the Manager Digest. My name is Kayla Grimshaw. And I'm Cecilia Kopranian. Today, we will again be diving into two amazing stories and the journalists behind those stories and what went into them. First up, Sam Barrett tells us about the recent cancellation of the Treeline Music Festival. Next up, we will be talking about Mizzou's efforts to accommodate their ever-growing student population. Let's get into it and talk to the journalist behind the story, Lane Sobolskis. Hey guys, I'm here with Lane Sobolskis, who's the Chief of Data and Investigation at The Maneater. How are you doing today, Lane? I'm doing very well. It's been a busy couple of weeks here, but I'm enjoying them. Okay, awesome. Let's get started. Can you give me just a basic summary of the story that you were working on? Yeah, so I don't know if some of you are familiar with it, but um, there was a University of Misery post that came out um, sometime this summer, and it kind of revealed that there were kind of three beds in some rooms. There was a metal rack closet, um, things that are kind of concerning, that might be kind of concerning for students going into the university for the first year. Um, and. I guess I just wanted to find out, you know, what was the policy in overbooked housing? What was even happening here? And then how were the students themselves actually being affected by it? Why are students living in study rooms and have metal clothing racks and have three beds in a two-room? Yeah, so it's a couple of things. Um, a lot of it is that the, we have a huge freshman class this year that contributes to it. Um, we also have a lot of returning students going to, um, going to state in res life this year. Um, and from what I heard from... Um, Someone at the News Bureau, Uriah Orland, was essentially that they were trying to, you know, accommodate the best, accommodate as many students as possible. Um, I mean, yes, I understand, you know, sometimes, you know, you're going to try your best to accommodate everyone. Um, but then it also brings in the question of, you know, fairness. And that's kind of what I wanted to do was actually talk to the people who had been placed in this housing and, and see what their opinions were um, about living in the situation. And it was a lot different than what I had gathered from people who actually weren't living in the situation. So what did you hear from the people who were living in that situation? Yeah, so I spoke to a couple of people, um, one person and their roommate, um, they were living in a in a single room that was converted to a double. And they had talked about how they were actually... Um, they applied to housing pretty late. They were returning students with res life and they were a little nervous on edge about actually even getting housing. And having housing in the first place was actually a really big relief for them because they um, they kind of struggled in the apartment search last semester and fell back on res life and res life was able to accommodate them. Um, and then the other two people I talked to had, they were freshmen and they had also um, applied to housing a little bit late, um, but you know, we're, kind of really honestly satisfied with their room placement. The one thing um, the one thing that both kind of sets of people um, had concerns about though was university communication dur during um, the summer where um, students didn't feel like there was enough you know communication and um, there was no official you know explanation as to what was going on. They kind of just got mm -hmm. you know notifications of you're placed in overbooked or not overbooked housing but you're placed in converted housing you know converted study room or something like that, whatever it would say. Um, and they're kind of concerned because when you think of, you know, converted housing, you know, you're not getting the baseline. Um, but um, the first group of people I talked to who was in, who were in the converted two, one person dorm that was being converted to a two person dorm, um, they had expressed like, you know, they're pretty satisfied with the space. Like, and I, I actually interviewed them in their dorm um, and I mean, from what I could tell and from what they said, it seemed like they had enough room, but it was just really the communication during that. 
Um, and I mean, obviously, I, I don't have the input of every single person on the University of Campus who was um, in in over in in one of these um, converted dorms. So I don't know. We actually have a um, just something after the story where, like, if you want to reach out to us and talk about your experience with housing, um, feel free to to reach us at editors at themaneater.com too. Hmm. So to to the best of your knowledge, has this ever happened before? Like, has University yeah. of Missouri ever had to accommodate this many students? Yeah, so this has definitely happened um, with the university before from what I've been hearing for the, what I heard from the news bureau. Um, it's happened with the university before, and it's happened with a lot of other universities before, too. Um, I mean, it causes some uproar, but it's definitely, you know, it's not it's not unheard of happening in higher education. Something that is really interesting contextually about enrollment at the university, I did a story on um, enrollment trends over the past 10 years, um, two semesters ago, I think it was, and um, we really started to, the university really started to see enrollment numbers kind of drop after the protests in 2015 with concerned students 1950. Enrollment numbers dropped really steadily, um, and then they started rising back up, and we're, we're kind of hitting a really high point here after that. Uh, so you obviously did a lot of background work mm -hmm. too before you started really diving into um, interviews and everything. Um, I'm curious, do you know about the financials of it? Because of course, stu that students have to pay for dorms. Were the students upset? Like, what was the financial situation? Were the dorms costing less because of it? Were students upset with pricing and everything? Were they paying full price? Yeah, so that's that's one of the first questions I had as well. Um, and it turns out when I talked to the students, I mean, there was no additional compensation um, for being in converted housing. Okay. So. So you mentioned that you interviewed students. Were there any other sources that you interviewed for this story? Yeah, so I talked to, like I already mentioned, um, someone at the News Bureau, and then I also talked to, on background, a couple of people who work for Res Life, and then um, more on the record, um, someone who had worked for Res Life this summer who was able to give some kind of context to, you know, kind of a the environment that they had been seeing um, this summer, and they were able to connect me with some other people as well. Okay. Um, who do you think would be considered some of the stakeholders of the story? Who's caring about this? I think, I mean, definitely the biggest stakeholder is students in this situation. Um, I mean, you have, you know, university, you know, especially coming in as a freshman, I heard from some of my sources where they were like, you know, I'm coming in as a freshman, I'm, you know, Everything is already so uncertain, uncertain, and there's a whole other level of uncertainty added by like, what even is this converted dorm room? Um, and I, I mean, I can definitely relate to that as well because coming in um, last year when I was a freshman, it was, I mean, I was already so you know up in my head about you know what would this be like, what would that be like, and at least you know I had some solidification in that. Um, and these people, these students who were placed in these converted dorms didn't really get a lot of reassurance over the summer um, and they one of the quotes that I believe was used in the story um, talked about how you know if they would have just you know come out and said hey we have a problem and we're working on it then they maybe would have appreciated that yeah that more upfrontness. Did you, they ever mentioned parents being upset about this? Yeah um, so one of the students that I talked to Andy Cross who I've been mentioning um, uh, he his parents like Throughout the summer, they kept calling. Both him and his parents kept calling um, Res Life over and over again. And then something that the freshmen were told um, that I interviewed, Emmy and Grace, they had talked about, you know, Grace's, um, Grace's parents were telling her, like, 
you know, make sure, make sure that you don't bring as much stuff into your dorm because something that the university had told them was within two weeks of moving into your dorm, there's the possibility that you're going to have to move out to a different room. So that was kind of concerning for them. And and honestly, my favorite part of Emmy and Grace's story is that is that Emmy Emmy had the side. They were in a study room, and Emmy had the side of the whiteboard. Um, and she knew that if it was on Grace's side, Grace had, Grace probably wouldn't like that at all. But Emmy Emmy had a had a nice little like countdown section um, with the days, and and would use it to work on her math homework. So it was it was kind of a benefit there. Yeah. So you mentioned your own confusion that you experienced and like the un- the the unknownness as being a freshman, which a lot of freshmen I'm sure have experienced. That was there any other reason why you felt that this was important to you personally? Personally, like not even like besides the story but you know I had been living at home um all summer I had you know been working remotely for my internship and I just wanted to get back reporting on Mizzou I wanted to (laughs) dig into something that was important to students I wanted to be able to you know shed light on the actual people who were experiencing this and that was really crucial for me just as as a journalist and and you know kind of starting up my my tenure as chief of data investigation Okay, well, that's all we have for you today, Lane. Thank you so much for being on this show. It was really interesting to hear about the housing at Mizzou. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks, guys. Welcome to the show, news editor Sam Barrett. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. We're all doing good. We're so happy you're here. So you did a story over the tree line cancellation. Yes, I did. So tell me about that story. So I am actually, I actually moved to Columbia just about a year ago. So I actually mm. knew nothing about Treeline. Um, I just happened to be a news editor and it was a breaking story. So I hopped right on it. Um, yeah, I know a lot of fellow staff members and like students at MU that were super like interested in the festival and really were excited about going. We were very disappointed to hear the um, cancellation. So, um, yeah, I knew that it was important news to get out there and, um, it was pretty, obviously it was, it was pretty simple to write, just kind of putting out the info they put out there, um, and trying to get it out to students and stuff as quickly as possible. So why was Treeline canceled? Treeline was canceled because of funding issues. As far as I know right now, I think they're coming out with more updates on it. Mm. Um, but yeah, apparently there was not, that they just didn't have the money to put it on, and yeah. Huh. So you said there's more updates coming out, so this is like a pretty like recent story. Do you know when Treeline was supposed to happen? It was supposed to happen uh, the weekend of September 29th through October 1st. Mm, okay, mm. okay. Why does this story matter so much? Yeah, um, there are just so, like I said, there are so many students and fellow Maneater staff, um, but yeah, just students and community members in general that were really excited about it. Like I said, I'm somewhat new to Columbia, so I wasn't aware of its importance or really aware of it at all. But um, a lot, it seems to be a big deal here, and a lot of people are interested in it. There were also some pretty big musical artists planned to perform, like Salt and Pepper, uh, Japanese Breakfast. Mm. Um, so yeah, a lot of people were definitely. I could tell right when it came out, I already knew from people's reactions that were telling me that a lot of people are going to be disappointed about it. And I just knew that it was really important to share with the rest of the community and the student body because, yeah, uh, everybody seems super interested in it and planned on going. Um, do you know if they're going to like 
reschedule it or if there's gonna be any kind of music festival thing this year so i think they're just completely canceling it Mm. but ozark i don't want to get the name wrong but it's ozark mountain biscuits oh i think they're putting on um well they normally do a biscuits beats and brews or i don't know if this is their first one not totally sure about that but they're planning a biscuits beats and brews festival they were going to do it a different time but um, hearing about Treeline being canceled, they moved their festival to the weekend of September 29th through October 1st to kind of fill in the gap oh. of Treeline. Okay. So, yeah. And the Maneater news section will be coming out with coverage on that. Did any of the artists that were supposed to play at Treeline say anything about the cancellation? No. Um, like I said, and yeah, we wanted to get the cancellation article out as soon as possible, so I didn't even, like... I think I attempted to reach out to like one artist or something. Yeah. But especially because a lot of them, you know, salt and pepper, stuff like that. A lot of them were kind of bigger, obviously probably wouldn't get back to me right away. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have not heard any comments from from artists on it. But I, I mean, I'm sure people were were pretty shocked and disappointed. So can you tell us a little bit more about some of the sources that you interviewed? You mentioned that you tried to reach out to one of the artists. And since they couldn't get back to you, who did you um, use as a source for this? So, yeah, because it was breaking, I um, I didn't use any, I didn't speak to anyone. I used simply uh, the statement that Treeline posted on their website and I believe also their social media because, like I said, this is something we got out literally like that day that they announced it. So, um, yeah, I basically just shared any information that um, the organization posted on their website or their social media. Um, and I believe I attempted to reach out to them as well, but I think yeah, I don't think they were getting back to anyone really just because, you know, so many people were reaching out about it yeah. um, that they just put out that statement and that that was kind of all they put out for now. Okay, that makes sense. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I appreciate you talking with us and, and we're excited to stay informed and see what what updates Chiline are going to give us about this cancellation. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me. That marks the end of today's episode of the Maneater Digest. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been Cecilia Koperanian and Kayla Grimshaw. See you next time.